We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Managing Editor Derek Ciapala with the man from the 80s and 90s, one of the greatest wide receivers in Rams history, Henry Ellard. Henry, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just jump right into it. Henry, what was special about your career at the Rams? Uh, I think number one is, of course, uh, being born and raised in Fresno, California, being able to play in California, not far from home, having the time to be able to come down to the games was always a special time for me. And, of course, just living out of drink, you know, is really what it's all about because you, you talk to my friends that I grew up with, I would have been the last one. They would have told you, they would have thought would have made it into the NFL not only one year, but to be able to play uh, 16 years. Now, you, in that 16 years, you, you spent much of that time with the Rams, Possessing great numbers with the team. What helped you become that dominant wide receiver? Uh, just hard work, putting in the time and the effort each and every day. You know, uh, I took a lot of pride in my work ethic and preparing myself for for training camp, and uh, and I think that made a difference for me as far as especially my durability and the ability to stay healthy throughout um, my career. Now, during your time with the Rams, you again put up great numbers, but it wasn't that way at first. 
How did your career <laughs> – I mean, at least in the receiving. We know what you did with punt returns. We know what you did in the return right. game. But at first, right. with that run – with that run first offense that eventually evolved under Ernie Zampezi, what was that transition like for you and how did you how were you able to take advantage of the situation? I'll tell you what, you know, the first couple of years in the in the league, uh, I became a very good blocker. <laughs> and for a good reason. When you have a guy like an Eric Dickerson in the backfield, you want to give him the ball as much as you can. That was how I understood that. So I'm trying to do my part down the field and blocking and given that opportunity to hopefully get to the end zone. And he carried us on the, on his back, I mean, the first three or four years of uh, the league, getting us to the playoffs and everything else. And, and that's what we were at that point in time. You know, uh, if we caught 30, 40 balls a year, we know it was. You know, when we brought in John Robinson from that field who, of course, comes from that running uh, offense. And, and we understood that, you know. And, and Actually, I'm a team player, and whatever it took to win games to get to the playoff, that's what it was all about to me. So it wasn't about the big numbers. You know, as long as we win, I, I was good with that. And then, you know, after I think it was my fifth year, they should have um, brought in Erding Zampezi, and it was funny because he called me in and we sat down we were talking, and he told me, he said, Henry, you know, you can probably catch 70, 80 balls in this offense. I looked at him. I had a smile on my face. I said, Ernie, I understand you. You're, you're a great offensive coordinator, but come on now. <laughs> you know, if you didn't catch, if I wouldn't catch him 30 or 40, I couldn't fathom the thought of 70, 80 balls in a year. And sure enough, that first year in 88, I caught 86 passes for 1,400 yards. But I just, I couldn't wrap my head around catching that many passes because I just, I wasn't used to that. But uh, he jump-started my career. I mean, they just kind of took off after that. So what led Coach Robinson to make that change? Help help some of us younger Rams fans understand that. And by the way, I didn't start. I started following the Rams in 87. The first full season I saw was 1988. Okay. Okay, so, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 40 now, okay, so. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I appreciate it. Okay, so. So help some of the people who are younger and getting just to get in touch with that history understand what changed. What did Robinson? Why did Robinson make that call? Because we traded Eric Dickerson <laughs> <laughs> to the Indianapolis Colts, and when you trade a franchise player like that, you got to find a way to make up for that, and, and it was hard to do. I mean, we had a couple of good backs that came in, did a great job for us, and uh, uh, Greg Bell came in, did a great job for us. You know, uh, even Charles White came in and did a real nice job. But I want to say even Charles made the, uh, the Pro Bowl one year, if I'm not mistaken. But we know we needed to get a passing game going. You know, we brought in Jim Everett. We traded for Jim Everett and brought him in as, as well. And so we had this big, tall quarterback. He was the first quarterback that when I'm down south, I could actually see him in the pocket compared to some of the other guys I played with who were a little smaller. So that was always a, a, a nice opportunity to get a chance to make something happen. And Chino Brady brought in this offense, and things just start to take off. We, you know, we drafted Flipper and we drafted Aaron Cox. You know, two guys that just balanced the field on the defensive side where they had to keep, you know, they can just double on one, one guy all the time. If they did, we'd go into the other guy with the one-on-one coverage, and that's what we tried to take advantage of. So what was your most memorable game as a Ram? It's funny because the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm trying to think if it was 88 or was it 89, but Eric was on the and, and he came back to Anaheim for the first time. And I had, um, I think it was like 10, 12 catches for 200 and something yards and three touchdowns. That's part of one of my bigger games stat-wise. 
but my more memorable game for me would be when I'm we're playing the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and I, I'm trying to again think of the year we were playing up in Candlestick. It was a Sunday night game, and it was one of those things where it's a battle for the division, is what it was at that point in time. So it was a game we needed to win. And sure enough, there's one play I'm running down the sidelines. Uh, I think Dwight Hicks might have been the corner, and I'm running a, a go route. Sure enough, Jim never throws the ball. And as I'm running down the sideline, I see Ronnie Lott coming across the field. And all that went through my mind is like, okay, it's going to be a collision. And it's just a matter of what's going to happen here. So I just tried to focus on the ball. And as Ronnie got there, him and the defensive back collided with one another. And as they both went down to the ground, the ball hit the back of the leg of, of, one, of, of one of them. I don't know who it was. And it came up, pointed straight up in the air in a spiral. And I just grabbed the ball and ran into the end zone for a touchdown. And, and it's kind of neat because uh, a photographer actually caught the, that moment where you could see the ball in midair, pointing straight up in the air, up and down. And I'm just kind of almost back, turned with my back uh, to the end zone, looking at the ball right before I grabbed it and turned and ran into the end zone. Of course, we ended up winning that game and winning the uh, division that year. So that was a big moment when you play against the rivals, especially San Francisco. You, you look for opportunities like that to, you know, to, uh, to make a difference. You know I'm going to go now and – Try and find the footage. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I can't, like I said, for the life of time, remember the year, and I just can't remember the year. And you um, said the throw came from uh, came from Everett, right? Yeah, yes, it did. Yes, it did. I'm trying to think so about I'm that. In '88, '89, somewhere in that area. Well, in '89, in '89, the Four Niners won the division. You, okay. 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 You guys went as the as the wild card. 88 yeah. wild card year, you guys played uh, against the Vikings, and I, and that, I think that was the year that the Rams won 38 to 16 on Sunday night. That might have been the game. If and you were both 10 and 6, wasn't it? I believe, like I said, it's been so long ago. Uh, I can't forget it to, to remember, but, um, That's but a I know lot of years. it was Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> a lot of hits ago. <laughs> a lot of hits, a lot of memories. Yeah. Now, sure enough. you you competed against some of some of the best, and you competed alongside some of the best. You mentioned earlier Flipper Anderson; he set the NFL record for you know most receiving yards in a game. Yes. You missed that yes. game, and so what yes. was it like watching that performance? I tell you what, I was excited, you know, and I would really put that as one of my top five games, even though I didn't play the game, because to watch. A young guy like Flipper Anderson Aircock step up and make plays in that game. Because that game, I mean, we went back and forth for a while, and, and Jim Everett and Flip were on fire. So just to be on the sideline watching that, I tell you what, I got excited for him. Now, that's especially to pull it out, and then all of a sudden he set an NFL record in the process. That's what it's all about. They sort of, you know, somebody step out, and you got to step up, and we keep on moving. And that's what it's all about. Now, you also play, you know, uh- Opposite of the defense, you had guys like Kevin Green there and so on and so forth. Yeah. What was it like yeah. going against those guys in practice every day? Well, in practice, it's not as big. I mean, of course, Kevin watched Green, when it, Kevin, when he came in, you know, and, and he started to work his way up as a special teams guy, making these plays uh, on a special teams. But it's just for me as a penalty return. I mean, I think I have a picture against the Philadelphia Eagles. Then I run a pump and turn back, and in the background, you can see Kevin kind of standing and watching me as I'm, I'm running. You know, those, those kind of guys that just made things happen for me, gave me that opportunity to make plays. And, of course, his career speaks for itself. I mean, his really it catapulted once he left us and went to, uh, to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm still bitter about that. I'm not going to lie. I, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, we know to do that time. Let guys get away. That's that's for sure. And it was, you know, too bad that that happened. I'm happy for him. Happy for, of course, Jerome Bettis as well. Both going to Pittsburgh had great careers. You know, that, that put him in the Hall of Fame. Well, let's zero in on your career because we've seen the argument now about how should Henry Ellard be in the Hall of Fame. And I look at the numbers and I look at the era, the 1980s and the 90s. We you don't have the kind of passing numbers then that we do no. now. Okay. But no. But you compare well. So why are we not to that point with you yet getting into the Hall of Fame or at least being a finalist? <laughs> I, I could tell you. Uh, like I say, the, just the early part of my career, like I say, with Eric in the backfield, we just didn't throw the ball like the ball they throw the ball nowadays. You didn't have the hundred hundred catch receiver. Art Monk was that first 100-catch receiver, I believe, with the Redskins in, uh, I think it was the mid-'80s, the late-'80s, is when that came about. Where now you get two guys uh, with 100 catches like it's nothing. So the, the, the game has changed and evolved over over the years, you know. And there's a lot of great players out there that's in the past as well as, as today, and, you know, it, it makes it tough. But it's one of those things where, you know, if it happens, I was blessed to play the game for 16 years. You know, if, if it happens – it, it happens. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because I was blessed to play the game for a long time, and I enjoyed it and tried to do everything I could to the best of my God-given ability. So, so I'm good with that. You know, I'm not a guy for the hoopla. That's just never been me. You know, so if it's meant to be, it'll happen. It's not, you know, if I go on living my life. Now, it's great that you, you're – it sounds like you're at peace with it, which is – yes. And, and, you know, oftentimes it's when somebody gets at peace with it that it finally happens. It's very strange how things ha- like that happen in life. I-, I do have one question, though. There was a gap from your peak Rams years to when you went to Washington. It kind of, you know, when when the Rams just tanked. Yeah, yeah we started to struggle a little bit uh, in L.A. Now, the is, side of the ball. especially, yes, especially that. How do you think that affected your career in terms of your numbers? And I don't know. You know, I couldn't begin to, to tell you. All I know is when I went to, to Washington, those numbers jumped <laughs> uh, again, especially the first couple of years. For me, you know, I think any player that goes from one team to another, you know, team, the old team think you want to step, you lost a step, and things like that. You go prove yourself uh, is important, I think, to a player. It was important to me, especially that first year. And the neat thing about that, First year, 94, in Washington, I got a chance, the opportunity to come back and play the last game in Anaheim State against the Rams. That was that was important to me to be part of that since they didn't, you know, that was be the last game there before he moved off to, to uh, St. Louis. You spent a large portion of your career up to that point playing in Anaheim Stadium, and we know the story and how that all ended and, and everything packed up and it went to St. Louis. Right, right. It, and I also saw another interview that you gave where you mentioned that how that potentially had an, an impact on on you and your career and your hall of, you know your possible hall of, hall of fame qualification and do you still believe that yeah and, and um like i said just being as consistent as you can is really what i was because to me a good to separate a good player from a great player that consistency in which you does something and that's really what i try to to do each and every week is be consistent at what i did showing up making plays doing what i can to, to help the team win is really what it was all about well, I ask you that question because I happen to agree with you. One of the things, actually, the reason why we started Rams Talk, we started Rams Talk when, when the team was still in St. Louis. And we had a major problem with how the players from the Rams days in Los Angeles were just not being acknowledged the way we thought they should be. 
And that's right. really why we started yeah. the site was because we we didn't want this history forgotten. We didn't want players like you and Flipper Anderson and Jim Everett being forgotten. And now, of course, the team being back, that's, that's really a big deal to us. But, <laughs> um, you know, that's why we did it. We didn't We didn't want your career forgotten. And that's why we're so happy to have you on the show. Before we move on, let's get a word for our sponsors. The Gold Ram Barbershop over at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. It's owned by Sal Martinez. He opened up his barbershop the day the Rams left in 1994. He's held the door open ever since. He's kept the lights on for Rams fans. Great prices. Give, you can get an appointment with him real easy, 714-894-7267. Hours are usually open 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go in there, get a great haircut at a great price. Take a look at that museum he's got in his store. It's Rams everything. Rams autographs, Rams pictures, Rams jerseys, Rams, Rams, Rams. It's just a great experience. Go in there and talk Rams football. He opened that store for you, the fan. Take a look. Again, it's 714-894-7267. Oh, and if you are interested in sponsoring Rams Talk, please join us. We would love to be on board with you. We'd love to work with you. We're at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. I guess what I want to ask you now is, is that 814 receptions in your career, you had, I think it's seven years of over 1,000 yards receiving, and you're at peace with it. What would you tell yeah. a young receiver, you know, like a Cooper Cup who struggled yesterday, or you yeah. know, a Tavon Austin on what it means now to be productive in the NFL and be, and be who you're going to be? I, the, the biggest thing, like I say, is just perfecting your craft. Is really, and, and you do that in practice. You know, time and time again, you carry what you do in practice into a game environment. It's what it's all about and the consistency in which you do it. Yeah, you're going to struggle. That's part of the game. The key is you got to have a short-term and you got to move off and get about it and move on to the next play. Otherwise, it becomes a domino effect is really what it's all about. And, I mean, you got great players across from you. I mean, everybody's out there trying to make a living. And that's part of the game. You know, but you continue to protect your game and, and uh, you take advantage of opportunities. You know, that, that's all you can do in, in those situations. But, and it comes with time and effort. With most young guys, you know, they want to step in there and make it happen. It just doesn't happen that way. Even for a receiver, it usually takes three years before you get into a comfort zone, you know, and, and really start to get the understanding of an offense. And, that, and that's part of the, you know, the growing pains with it. But they got a great coach there now. You know, a, a young quarterback has been there a couple of years, and I mean, they starting to come together, and things are starting to happen. You know, you look at Robert Woods, who was in Buffalo for a number of years, right along with uh, with Sammy. You know, you bring these guys together now, all of a sudden they've got some years under their belt. Now they understand the game and how to do things, and, and things are really starting to gel and come together for them. Same with the with the running back, Gurley. So let me ask you this question too. You mentioned the offense they're putting together under Sean McVay. Now, going back to the Ernie Zampezi days, how do these offenses compare? I mean, as far as throwing the ball from what we were doing with Eric compared to what we were doing with Ernie, I mean, it's very similar because we start putting the ball in the air a lot more often. Uh, I mean, nowadays, like I say, you, you get more of that. And, again, with the Roberts and the Sammys, you know, in the Coop now, you know, in the Austins, I mean, now you're talking about, you know, the Henry Rams, the Chip Anderson, the Aaron Cox, the, even the Ron Brown that play uh, together, you know, where you got weapons that you can spread that ball around and make, make things happen. 
and you know, you got a quarterback that can swing and, and a running back that can keep the defense honest by pushing the ball up the field. Uh, it, things get a little easier, that's for sure. And things just finally starting to come together for that offense. Well, defense, well, doing a great job. Wade has always been a good uh, friend of mine, and, and just watching the things that he does on the on that side of the ball is amazing. When you're watching these Rams now, I have to ask, you know, how much do you really follow them? Are you, you consider yourself a Ram at heart, or just yeah, yeah, yeah? It took me a little while. <laughs> it took me a little while to get back into it uh, again. But but I told myself this is what I need to get back in LA where they belong. I need to get behind this team and tune up and, and root them on, and, and that's that's what I've been doing. So I'm a I'm a diehard Ram fan. I really am. Well, you know, you have a you have a lot of <laughs> you have a lot of fans who still want to know about you. And uh, one thing we do want to know is we're you're, you're coaching down in San Antonio now. Tell us about that. <laughs> it's kind of funny how uh, I say how guys works um, because towards the end of my career, somebody asked me, "You ever ever thought about coaching?" I said, "I told him I would never coach." And it's funny, yeah, like how guys works because in '98, uh, my last year, I was a free agent. I wasn't signed right away, so I was at home working out in Southern California. I was at the YMCA working out, and I opened up this sports section. And this small Christian high school in Southern California had hired a coach. Uh, and two weeks before they were going to start, he walked away. So, and my heart went out to these kids. I said, you know, I'm going to keep track of this story. And if they hire themselves a coach, I'm going to go volunteer. That's how I got into coaching. And sure enough, they hired a coach, and it was three of us, three other coaches. This wasn't a very big school at all. The student body was 100, 105. Half the kids had never played football before. Uh, we had to take a day just to show them how to put the pads on. <laughs> we won one game that year. And that was against really a junior varsity team. But I tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I enjoyed every bit of it. The kids were giving their heart out. They may not have been the most talented group, but they gave everything they had. And, and that's what it was all about for me, you know, and just to work with these kids and watch them grow and get better. I say, you know what? I, I'm enjoying this. I'm going to look, look more into this. And, and part of that story was I was still actually active. I hadn't retired yet. So right in the middle of the season, Ernie Van who was now in New England as the offensive coordinator, they lost Vincent Brisby. Terry Glenn went down to rest his soul. I understand he just uh, passed away in the, in the car accident. Yes, he did. But he was, they were two that was hurt. They had Tony, uh, they had Troy, uh, is it Troy Brown? Troy Brown. I think that was, yeah, that was one of yep. the receivers there at the time. And so I went in there, sure enough, I, I flew in on a Tuesday, on a Monday. Worked out on Tuesday. They signed me out, started on, on Saturday, I mean on Sunday against the, uh, Indianapolis coach with Drew Bledsoe was the, uh, was the quarterback at that point in time. So I was there for probably about five weeks. Then they said, look, I just need you to, so I can get my guys back and then, We'll see what happens. So I was there five weeks. Finished up there. And then actually the last three weeks, went back to Washington. Finished up in Washington where I started, of course, my last uh, part of my career from 94 through 98. But after that, I retired, went back to the high school that next year and coached throughout the whole year. I said, you know what, I, I kind of like this. So I called Pat Hill up at Fresno State, of course, where I went to school. Asked me if I could come up there for a year, volunteer, and see this is what I want to do. Went up there in 2000, fell in love with it. I said, okay, I can see myself doing this. That was in 2000. After the year 2000, Mike Morris became the head coach with the St. Louis Rams. He recruited me out of high school to Fresno State. That's how I know Mike Morris. 
So he heard I was in the coach and asked me if I would come out there for a year see what I thought about it. And the rest is history. Coach for 14 years, you know, with the Rams, with the uh, Jets, and with the Saints. Loved every bit of it. Had a lot of fun. Then the last couple of years, this was probably 2014, 2015, my wife and I would talk and say, okay, what do we want to call home other than where I'm coaching? We had a mother, my mother-in-law lived in uh, San Antonio, Texas. We would come out and visit, bring the kids out to visit. Then my oldest, who's now a junior at Trinity College, decided that's where she wanted to go. That was actually on the cake. We said, okay, let's move to San Antonio. And I still had a, a junior and a eighth grader, two daughters, that were still in high school. So sure enough, we enrolled them in San Antonio. Person High is what we did. And I was working out one day, and athletic director asked, if I would come out and help out the team, coach the receivers. So that's what I did last year. This year, the head coach that was there just that one year, he left and went back to college. Then they brought in another coach. Two months later, he left and went back into the college rank. And it's almost that story all over again that I talked about when I got into uh, coaching. My heart went out to these kids. I said, it's not that easy. They've had four coaches in five years. And my heart, my guy just put on my heart, look, you need to go take over this team. So that's what I did this year. <laughs> I became the head coach of San Antonio Christian. You know, we didn't win a lot. Of, we won three games this year. But I enjoyed every bit of Because, again, it's about putting in, in into these young men. And, and I enjoyed that part of it. Now, you just mentioned God as as this and your faith. Um, yes. I, I kind of see, a you know, a bookmark. I see the, the, the first coaching job in a Christian school, and now you're at a Christian school now. You know, how, what has your faith meant to you? as a person, um, as a player, as a person, as a coach everything. throughout your life? Everything. I mean, that's where it started. That's where I grew up. I, I grew, literally grew up in a church. I'm the youngest of nine. My mom was a, uh, a church mom, so she's taking care of the church from flowers to everything else throughout the week. And little Henry's right there with her the whole time. <laughs> you know, my father was a deacon and part of the church as well. But I literally on Saturdays when I was growing up, we as a family would our outing would be to go over to the church and clean up the church is what we would do. And my mom would always tell us, God's going to bless you for this. And we don't want to hear that. We want to be at home watching cartoons. But now, as I'm older and have my own kids, and I look back on that, I tell you what, it was truly a blessing. You know, I understand exactly what my mom uh, was talking about with that. But that's where, I mean, that's what my life is. You know, planning itself, great. Hall of Fame, great. But that's not going to define me. Me and, and, my, and have my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's what defines me. That's what it's all about for me. And I'm at peace with that. Football was just a, a tool. You know, I'm not, I'll tell you this, and I truly believe it, is God blessed me to allow me to bless my mother. That's, that's how I truly feel about it. To be able to tell her, Mom, it's time for you to retire. It's time for me to take care of you. That made it worthwhile to play in the NFL just for that reason. Because as hard as she worked and everything she had, that that's, was my satisfaction to be able to do that for my mom because of all the hard work that she put in for me. Oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, and you know, I think this is the 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 best. I I think this is a great time to actually end. <laughs> you just gave an outstanding <laughs> testimony, and I don't think there's anything else that can top that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our time is up. I want to thank you, Henry Yellow, for coming on the show today. It means a lot to us, especially the history buffs, especially the Rams fans who are, you know, in L.A. and glad the team is back. Just want to thank you for coming on. And Thanks for having me. And, we, and I hope we can have you back again. I think you have a lot more to tell. So, folks, uh, really quick here for him, Henry, 
where can people follow you? <laughs> oh, I'm on Twitter. You know, I finally got to the point and got with the time. I got a Twitter account and, and of course, uh, Facebook as well. Really, the two uh, media sources that that I'm on. Uh, I'm not a big. I've always been a private person. It's just been me. But I said, I know some people often want to know what's going on in your life, what you're doing. So I said, okay, let me get a Twitter account, and, and that way, especially when I'm I'm speaking about the Rams and and kind of uh, giving them my thoughts, you know, on them. That's that, that's what I'll do. Between that and the Facebook are the two ways uh, that uh. That people can reach out. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's the actual Twitter address so people know to follow? At EllardHop85. EllardHop85. All right, sir. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Folks, stay tuned for the rest of the Rams Talk, the Rams Talk crew. This is Derek C. Paul. Have a great day. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.